podcast of the Vine Church in Fullerton, California. For more information, visit thevineoc.com. Well, hey, good morning again. Uh, Today is the first Sunday of the season of Lent. And here at the Vine, we follow the church calendar. And the reason is because we believe that this is a tool that helps us orient our lives around Jesus and around the great story of Scripture. Now, sometimes, unfortunately, people think of Lent as sort of a gloomy season. And so I want to begin this morning with a bit of Lenten humor. (laughs) Did you know that there was such a thing? Well, I discovered this past week that there was. I, uh, I, was on, I was on Twitter, and I'm not usually on Twitter, but I was on Twitter, and I came across a couple choice posts. So I just, I wanted to share with you uh, this morning. The first one says this, quote, I just ordered four boxes of Girl Scout cookies, which will probably arrive in the middle of Lent. Hashtag self-sabotage. <laughs> I love that. The next one says, quote, me, I'm giving up sugar for Lent. All of L.A., you still ate sugar? <laughs> Pretty funny. Okay. Just had to share those, kind of lighten, lighten the mood a little bit. But <laughs> I, I had a plan for a, a Lenten sermon series. But as, as I prayed this past week, I really felt God was leading me to sort of throw it out the window. So um, I, I really felt just that we've been in a thread the past couple weeks. And I just felt just led to continue that thread uh, today as we began this new season together. And if you haven't been with us the past couple of weeks, I encourage you just to listen online as I believe it's really important for where we're headed uh, as a church. And so we're going to continue some of these threads we've been in today by looking at the story of Jesus in the wilderness or Jesus in the desert. And um, we've talked the past couple of weeks about how our culture presently finds itself in a desert spiritually, that this is a time of decline spiritually, and, and how even for the church that this is actually sort of a desert season, that this is a time of decline for the church. We don't always realize that in America, but, but it is. And, and so uh, also personally, I know that many of us here are going through what we might might call a desert season. And so one of the questions this raises is how do you navigate that? How do you navigate a desert season? And what is God up to in these times? And and also what are the pitfalls or temptations we can face in these seasons? And and how do we move move forward and not get stuck in the desert? So that's what we're going to talk about today. And, And the main passage we're looking at is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4, verses 1 through 14, which we read a moment ago. And if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Otherwise, you can follow along uh, on the screens. And so here we go. Jesus, just prior to this, Jesus has been baptized. And he just heard his father just affirm his identity. He said, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. And then here in Luke 4, verse 1, it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, or some translations say into the desert. Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. Now, if that's not the understatement of the year, I don't know what is. But we're going to sort of camp out on this theme of hunger, and we'll come back to that. Now, this 40-day journey that Jesus had in the desert, in the wilderness, is where we get the 40 days of Lent. It's modeled after Jesus' journey uh, in this time. And so let me say just a word about the desert 
uh, and what this means for us. So Jesus was, of course, in a literal desert, but what this represents for us is, is a time, this could be a time of barrenness, this could be a time of trial, um, but on the positive side, this is also a time when distractions are sort of stripped away. So it can be a time of focus and, and simplicity and even purification. And so there's sort of these different things that come often come together in a desert season. Now, uh, in light of that, uh, the first question I want to ask is, is, why was Jesus in a desert? And I think this is an important question to ask because I think so often when we find ourselves in a desert season, we can have thoughts like this, like, man, this desert, like, this is hard. I I must have messed up. Like, maybe I thought I was following God's will, but maybe I took a detour somewhere. Maybe I just totally messed up because look at where I am. I'm in a desert. This doesn't feel like the right destination, right? Or sometimes, so we can doubt ourselves, or sometimes we can think, you know, maybe Maybe I, I sinned and maybe that's why I'm here. Maybe God's sort of punishing me and so we can kind of beat ourselves up. So when you find yourself in a desert, you can doubt yourself or you can beat yourself up. But I want us to see this uh, together. So, so why did Jesus end up in this desert? <laughs> Verse one, it says this, Jesus was, quote, led by the spirit into the desert. So let's think about this. Was Jesus in sin? No. No, he was just affirmed by his father, right? Was he somehow off track? No, because we read that the Holy Spirit led him here. So he was following the Holy Spirit. And that is the definition of being in God's will, right? And so that tells us two things. And first, that if you find yourself in a desert, that doesn't necessarily mean you've done something wrong, right? And I think some of us are probably carrying some false guilt that the Lord wants to just release you of today, that God can lead us into a desert. Now, of course, to use a a golf metaphor. Of course, it's possible to sort of, you know, shank the ball and find ourselves in a sand trap of our own making. That's possible, of course, right? But, but so often the deserts we find ourselves in are something actually, and this may seem counterintuitive to our American thinking, but can be something that God actually leads us into. And therefore, that, that means that this is something that God has a purpose in, okay? And we see throughout Scripture that God leads people in the deserts. He led, you know, Moses into a desert. The people of Israel, uh, David, uh, Elijah, Jesus, and on and on. And so we can expect that we will go through desert times. And when we find ourselves there, that does not mean that God has forsaken us. It does not mean that God does not love us. Actually, that's actually a really good sign that God is with you, okay? <laughs> that is a really good sign that he's with you. And so I'll, I'll share just personally that I have been in a desert season for a while. And and I think I'm on my way out of that. Um, but but I just I share that to say that I've, I've lived this. And, and, and by the way, I had several people stop me uh, after church last Sunday and share that God really spoke through me, through me to them and, 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 and that they're really blessed by uh, what I shared uh, last week. But what you have to know is what I shared last week was actually the fruit of the desert. The insights and the passion and the stirring head was actually the fruit of the desert. So you just have to know that when God takes you in a desert, it's for a purpose, that there is a reason in that. That's just an, an example of that. So, so the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness Uh, But the next question that brings us to is, well, if God can lead us into deserts, like, what's up with that, right? I mean, it sounds like a bad idea. I mean, if someone were to ask me, you know, where would you like to go, Hawaii or Death Valley? (laughs) 
I'm choosing Hawaii, right? You know, the desert or the tropics. I'm choosing the tropics, drink in hand, you know. Um, and so this can seem kind of counterintuitive to us. Like, why, why would God lead us into a desert? And, 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 and this kind of this mysterious thing. So, so why? Well, what is God up to in the desert? And I, I think there's several things, but the main thing I want to focus on today is this. It's that in the desert, God is trying to stir in us our hunger, a deeper hunger for him. That God wants us to hunger for him and the desert is one of his main tools of helping us get in touch with that and to press more deeply into that, okay? There are many things he does in the desert, but that is one of the main ones. And, and I believe that, well, I'll, I'll get, that, get to that. So in this season of Lent, the church often uh, invites us to, to fast. And one of the reasons is, to, again, for that very purpose, to help us get in touch with our hunger for God and to stir that. So when you're thinking of, I wish uh, I were eating, oh, I don't know, chocolate right now, you can think of, oh, let that hunger be a reminder of my hunger for God. Let that lead me to actually seek God. The time that I might have uh, just eaten whatever your favorite chocolate thing is. <laughs> and let me instead, let me, let me think and, and maybe pray to God in this moment. So that's part of the whole uh, purpose of, of this season. Now, if God has a purpose in these desert seasons, you also have to know then therefore that our enemy, <laughs> the devil, is also going to be working overtime to try to subvert those purposes uh, in this time. So let's look at um, the kind of the main ways he comes at us. So we'll look at verse three. And again, Jesus, he's been fasting for 40 days and we were told that he was hungry. And then verse three says, the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now there are two temptations wrapped up in this one verse. And so let's take these one at a time. And here's the first and it's the temptation when you're kind of in this desert season to doubt God and your relationship to him. It's the temptation to doubt God and your relationship to him. Now, it can be easy as we read this story, especially if you've read this a million times, to kind of gloss over how significant and personal this was for Jesus and how vulnerable uh, this moment was. I mean, remember, he was uh, alone, and so that means that he was the only one who could have told this story, right? And, and this may be of one of those stories he might not have wanted to share because this wasn't a story of Jesus walking on water. This wasn't a story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Uh, this was a, a time where Jesus was struggling. I mean, think about it, 40 days without food. His body is weak. He's lost, uh, he's lost weight. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those survival shows where like they show him before and after. You know, it's like one of those kind of things. He's lost weight. Uh, he's in pain. And as I mentioned earlier, just before this happened, that he was being baptized in the Jordan River by John the Baptist. He heard the voice of his father proclaiming, you know, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And, and so just after that affirmation, here he is, he's in the desert and he's starving. Now the text doesn't tell us what's going on in Jesus' mind at this time, but it's not unlikely that he had thoughts like this. I mean, is this what being loved looks like? Is, is this what being in God's favor looks like? Is this what God's provision and grace looks like? Now have you ever been in that place? In a desert like this, have you ever been in a difficult place where you're struggling and, and you think to yourself, my goodness, I've, I've been trying to be faithful to God. Is this what God's love looks like? Jesus knows that place. And in that place, the temptation is what? It's to doubt, right? Does God really love me? 
I mean, maybe he loves all those other people. They look like they're doing all right, but does he love me? Like, am I really his beloved son or daughter? Is he really my good father? See, these are the kind of doubts that can kind of creep in 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 these times. Again, the tempter says, if you are the son of God. So he plants that seed of doubt. And that's really the first temptation or the first way that the enemy comes at us. But he doesn't stop there. The second temptation we face in the desert is the temptation to settle for something less than God. It's the temptation to settle for something less than God. And and again, here's Jesus in, in this moment of great weakness. And the tempter says, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, you've got a hunger but the father's not going to meet it. And so you better take matters into your own hands. You might as well just settle for just what's right in front of you. And, and, and notice how the tempter works here. He, he focuses Jesus' attention uh, uh, on what he doesn't have. Isn't that interesting? The first tactic of the enemy here is to immediately focus Jesus' attention on what he doesn't have. And he loves to do that. He loves to get his focus on whatever that thing is for us in our lives. And, you, you know, look at all, you know, all the dirt and, and, and all the stones and all the rocks, but no bread in sight. And you see, when you're living with an unsatisfied desire, uh, the enemy likes to try to get us, kind of narrow our vision so that the only thing we see and the only thing we focus on is that thing. And so, you know, no money in your life. I mean, gosh, that you have that little in your checking account. I mean, you're, re- you're really struggling that much. I mean, I mean, look at you. I mean, look at what all these other people have and think of all the fun they must be having w- w- with what they have, right? Have just focus on whatever that thing is. Or, or how about this one? We can, this can even happen spiritually. Like, hey, look at all these other people. They look like, I think they look like they, they really have a thriving relationship with God. I'm sure when they pray every time they sense God's presence. I'm sure whenever they pray, their prayers get answered like that. What's your problem, right? He, he loves to get us to focus on what we're not experiencing in our life, right? And then from there, there the thoughts go to, well, just, just go ahead, you know, fill in the blank. You know, what's, what's the point? You know, God's not going to come through for you, so you better just take care of yourself and settle for what's right in front of you. And that can be any number of different things. But what in that, what the enemy's trying to get us to do is to settle for what we might call lesser bread. To settle for something less than God. You know, if you are the son of God, if that's who you really are, Jesus, why are you out here starving in the desert? You know, if, if you are God's son and he really loves you, you know, why are you struggling? You know, why all the effort just to be hungry? You know, why all the morality just to be lonely? You know, why all the serving and sacrifice just to be tired and, and exhausted? Why all the waiting just to be considered a prude? If you want the hunger to go away, Jesus, tell these stones to become bread. Take the matters into your own hands. Now, this probably sounds familiar, right? Uh, because we all face this in our own way. So it might look like, you know, financially struggling, but you're still tithing. You know, there, there's something you can do to change that. Or, you know, waiting until marriage, but you're struggling with, with, with purity. What's the point? Or, you know, feeling discouraged. Well, there's a drink or there's a, there's a website that you can go to, to to make you feel better, right? And so when we give into that, we're being suckered and, and we're falling for the lie. And a guy named Scott Scruggs, who's helped my thinking on this passage, he frames the lie like this. This is so good. He says, the lie isn't that bread is evil, the lie is that you can make your hunger go away without God. Let me say that again. The lie isn't that bread is evil. The lie is that you can make your hunger go away without God. So in other words, the Bible nowhere says thou shalt not eat dinner rolls, right? 
So this isn't like a good carb, bad carb thing. This isn't like a, a paleo diet thing. This is uh, nothing wrong with bread theologically. So, so what's the problem? <laughs> the problem is when you take a good thing, again, bread's a good thing. When you take a good thing and you make it an ultimate thing. When you think that's what will satisfy your ultimate hunger, when you settle for lesser bread in place of the ultimate bread, when you, uh, you try to use a finite thing to satisfy an eternal hunger, okay? And I want to read you a quote from Philip Yancey. He says, a society that denies the supernatural, that's our society, a society that denies the supernatural usually ends up elevating the natural to supernatural status, such a good observation. And he goes on, sophisticated moderns have not renounced transcendence, but rather replaced it with weak substitutes. And you see, when we settle for anything less than God, for that ultimate hunger in our hearts, we are settling for weak substitutes. That, that's what it is. Now, before moving on, I, I do want to point out that, that Jesus does not condemn our desires. I remember when, before I started following Jesus, I thought that that's what Christianity was. I thought Christianity was God is just this cosmic killjoy in the sky, and here's all these arbitrary rules, and to kind of just kind of chain you up, and so you know you have no fun, and you look you look you know miserable, and 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 it's all about shutting down and repressing your desires. But I actually found it's actually just the opposite. That all the desires I had when I was, you know, found this moment of transcendence in music or whatever, you know, seeking in relationships with women or the various, oh, substances I sampled, with actually, that was a pointer to, <laughs> that was a pointer to actually a, a deeper hunger that actually was actually, that God wanted to satisfy. And actually the religion, and, and I'm not trying to knock it, but the religion that, that actually says desire is bad is not Christianity, but actually that's Buddhism. And so sometimes I think in the church, we've actually misunderstood what Christianity actually uh, teaches because Jesus does not condemn our desires, but rather, uh, actually, I mean, think of it. God created us with physical bodies, and, and he said that his creation was good, and we have desires for rest and, 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 and creativity and sleep and food and companionship. And so these are all ways that God wired us so that we would know and enjoy the pr- provision and goodness uh, of God. And so, so, so desire isn't, isn't evil. The problem, again, isn't bread. It's, it's when we try to live on bread alone. That is the problem. Bread is good, but again, it's not the highest good. It's not the ultimate good. You know, think of money. money money's fine, but it's not the highest good. Comfort is good, but it's not the highest good. And so the problem is, in, again, when we take a finite thing and we try to make it an ultimate thing, when we place it above God. Now, uh, there's a big problem when we settle for this lesser bread. And the problem uh, is that, well, let me, let, me, let me set it up like this. So uh, I'm, uh, I'm sure your mom probably, you probably, your mom probably said, you know, don't eat junk food before dinner because what? It will spoil your appetite, right? And so these things, when we try to fill our soul with things that weren't intended to fill our soul, uh, the problem is that it spoils our appetite. It sort of satiates temporarily that deeper hunger that God wants to get us, in t- us to get in touch with in the desert. It spoils our appetite for God. And, and so part of what's happening in, in the desert is, is, again, God's often things are stripped away. And so the, again, the point is that so we would get in touch with that deeper desire. And so the enemy, he comes with these temptations for lesser things. And, and, and when, but when we give into that, again, it ruins, it spoils our appetite. And it takes away our hunger for the real thing, 
for the real meal. And, and this can look lots of different ways, of course. Uh, and this can look like binge watching Netflix. This could look like, I don't know what, this could look like using pornography. This could look like maybe something that's good in and of itself, but that we just kind of, again, are using in an inordinate and unhealthy sort of way. But when we settle for these lesser things, it ruins our appetite. And again, God really, what he wants to do in, in these seasons is to help us get in touch with our hunger for him. In uh, verse four, uh, Jesus, it says, Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. And in Matthew's telling of this story, he adds, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. You see that what Jesus is telling us is that even out there in the desert, even when he was hungry, God showed up and provided for him in a way that was better, in a way that was more satisfying. And of course, there's a lot uh, more in this passage, but here's how I want to land this. And it's to summon us to not settle for bread that won't satisfy. In John 6, 27, Jesus says, do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life. Now, uh, if you've been in a desert for a long time, one of the temptations, uh, I believe, is to just sort of resign yourself that this is, this is just kind of how it's going to be. Maybe this is the rest of my life. And we can be tempted to just settle for what's right there. Again, this lesser bread. And there are different kinds of deserts we can go through. Some deserts are what we might call circumstantial deserts. In other words, we're facing trials in our circumstances. Another kind of desert we can face is it's primarily a spiritual desert where uh, it's not so much that our circumstances have changed, but it's more that our relationship with God has changed. And so maybe you're doing everything the same, but then one day it's like, gosh, this just feels so dry in my relationship with God. And you're still seeking him, but it just feels like there's this deadness in your relationship with God. You have no sense of his presence. He just feels like maybe he's really distant. And so uh, that's, that's another kind of desert uh, we can face. But if you've been in one of those deserts for a long time, it can be tempting eventually to just sort of give up and assume that maybe that's just how life's going to be. And then even to eventually just check out in your relationship with God. But one thing I, I really want to highlight from this story, and, and, and part of the, the, the challenge we can face is sometimes when we read this story, we forget to read the verse that comes right after it. And, and, and in verse 14, um, it says this, Luke 4.14, it says, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole country. And so what we need to draw from that is that God leads you into desert, not to leave you there. God always leads you into desert, not so that you would stay there for the rest of your life, not that you would make that your permanent address. Uh, again, the temptation can be to say, well, maybe this is just my life, and to kind of just kind of, again, resign ourselves, but remember that Jesus was led through the desert. Another image of this, uh, Psalm 23, uh, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so God can lead us through valleys, but if you know anything about shepherding, the only reason a good shepherd would lead his sheep through the valley of the shadow is death, of death is why? because there's greener pastures on the other side. If he leads you into a desert, it's so that you can experience his greener pastures on the other side, okay? That is, that is the whole point in this. And, and I think part of what he's even doing in the desert, he's increasing our capacity so that we could actually handle that. Because he might not even be able to handle it right now, what he has in store. And, and so again, Jesus, he came through the desert, we see, with not less of the Holy Spirit, but actually just as much, if not more. And so that's our hope, that God wants us to find in the desert and through the desert more of him, not less. And, and so the invitation in, 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 this, in these times is not to resign ourselves 
and to give up, but actually to press in, to seek God, to pray, to fast, to really settle for nothing less than for him. And um, now you might wonder, like, wait, like, why would, like, let's talk about a spiritual desert for a moment, like, because I know some of us are there right now, and I've been in one of those. And so the question is, why would God kind of withdraw that sense of his presence? Let's say, you know, you're, you're being faithful, you're just trying to do, uh, you know, just follow Jesus, and then, but then it's like, again, you go through this spiritual desert. Why in the world would God do that? Well, I like to think in, come from a farming background, so I like to think of agricultural kind of metaphors. And so think of a plant, and uh, if, if the water uh, that it experienced was only ever on the surface of the ground, what would happen? What would happen is that the roots would be very shallow. The roots would be very shallow. I studied crop science at Cal Poly. I can, I can tell you that. <laughs> I learned one thing. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and, and so when, I think when God kind of withdraws that sense of his presence, the purpose is not so, not so that we would feel like we're forsaken. It's so that the roots would go deeper that we would actually go deeper in our relationship with him, with him, that we would sort of dig the well deeper in, in our life because he wants us to be people who are just so deeply rooted in him and people who, who really just know how to seek after him. And, and, and so when that happens, when there's that sense of his presence withdrawing, when it feels dry uh, in, in our spiritual life, again, there's always a purpose. He wants us to go deeper uh, in him. And, and, and through that, though, and it's not, again, so that we would be frustrated, so ultimately that we would find streams in the desert. I'll read to you uh, Isaiah 43, verse 19 again. It says, Behold, I'm about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And so your, your life might feel like a desert today. Your, your life, it just might look, feel like just barrenness, like a wasteland, but God wants to bring streams in your desert. That is the promise. And again, I believe that in this season, God wants to stir in us a fresh hunger for more of him, that we would seek him uh, for ourselves, for our church, and for our city uh, and beyond. And, and um, I'll just share personally about kind of the journey I've been on. And um, so as I mentioned that I've been in, in a bit of a, a desert season, it's been a dry season, and uh, man, I love God and I pray, but there's been so often when I pray, it's just been like, just feels so dry. And so a few weeks ago, it was one of those times and I was fasting that day. I'm like, I'm pressing in and uh, it was just so dry. It just felt like deadness, felt like no sense of God's presence. And I'm like, God, I really would love to hear from you. And it just felt like nothing. And, and, um, and, and there are things that God can be doing. And there's so many things, part of it, he's, he's helping us see things about ourselves and there's so much he can do, but there also comes a point where you refuse, you refuse to live in the desert anymore. <laughs> and that's kind of where I was like, you know what, God? And I just, it was, this wasn't a polite prayer. This was kind of like Hannah last week we talked about. I was just kind of throwing down. I'm like, God, your word says, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Lord, I believe in you. So why am I not experiencing your rivers of living water? And I was just kind of throwing down. And I was not letting it up. And I was just kind of just holding them to his word. <laughs> I'm like, God, what's going on? And I, I'm not going to give you the whole blow by blow. But what I can tell you is that as I continue to press in, that I, I really experienced streams of living water in my desert. And, and, and I experienced a breakthrough. And I think that too often we stop short. We experience resistance in our spiritual life and we give up. Like, oh, maybe that's not for me. Maybe that's for them over there, but maybe that's not for me. And maybe this promise doesn't apply to me, but I want you to know that all God's promises are true and they're for you. Whoever believes, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow 
from within them. So I just want to encourage you to, to be bold in your seeking of God in the season, to, to not give up, to not settle for the lesser bread, but to be self, settle for nothing less than God himself. And Jesus said this in John 6, 35. He said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now that's just an extraordinary claim. And I believe only God could say that. And I believe that there is a thirst and a hunger for the human heart and soul that can only find its satisfaction in him. And that's been my experience, that Jesus is the true bread that our hearts long for. And so just as I wrap this up, I want to invite the band to uh, come back up. And I'll leave you with this invitation from Isaiah 55, verse 1. It says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Now, this is kind of a wild invitation because it's, it's, it's inviting us to, to buy something without any money. I mean, how, how do you do that? Well, I think the only way this makes any sense is if, if somebody else has already paid the price. And I'm reminded that on the cross, Jesus said what? I thirst. On the cross, Jesus took upon himself the hunger and the thirst of the human race so that we could experience the satisfaction that can only come through him. And so we are able just to freely receive this gift of life and satisfaction through him. And again, the invitation is just to come to him. He says, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and cost. Because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never grow hungry. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Amen. Let's pray together. So Lord, we, um, I just pray that you would stir fresh hunger in our hearts for you. That we would seek after you and that we would find you and that we would find satisfaction for our souls. Lord, would you give us the grace in this season to uh, let go of anything that we're using uh, in a way that would ruin our appetite. Lord, may your living waters just bubble up from within. May we find your streams of living water in the desert. I just pray for fresh hope, Lord, for those who've been in the desert for a long time. Fresh hope, fresh courage, fresh passion, fresh vision. God, would you just lead us in this season? Would you take us deeper in you, God? In your name we pray.